to the It'll Buff Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Grachowski, CEO and founder of Five and Fly LLC. What if I told you there's no set path on separating from the Army? If you are an active duty Army officer seeking to separate from the Army in the next 18 to 12 months, here's the deal. Stay tuned. The fact of the matter is, people out there are going to tell you that there's a set path to go on, whether that's pursuing an MBA or pursuing a certain internship path. There isn't. And here's what I'm going to tell you. You can write your own path. You just need to be able to filter through the noise. This podcast is going to provide you with interviews, one-on-ones, and personal experiences that help you create an azimuth to guide you on the path of separating from the Army. This isn't going to have all the answers, but it's going to help point you in the right direction. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thanks for tuning in. It'll buff. To this episode of the It'll Buff Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Grochowski, CEO and founder of Five and Fly. And before we dive into this week's episode, I want to do a quick plug out there just to everybody's information. Um, Five and Fly is signing on a partnership with GarX Fitness. And what we're doing is we're going to help them stand up their DOD Skillbridge program and we're going to make it one of the best programs in the nation. So be on the lookout for more news in regards to that. If you like and love the content that we're putting out, please leave us a review. Please comment in the, in the podcast episode notes. And if you don't like what we're putting out, tell us why not and give us some more ideas and we will see where we can go with that. But without further ado, this week's episode, we're bringing on Jessica Baumeister and a quick background on her. She is a logistics officer that graduated from West Point in 2016, so a classmate of mine, and then went on to join the 82nd. And she worked in the 1st Brigade Combat Team in the, in the HHB Battalion Sustainment Brigade. And then ultimately got out of the Army following command. So she, ladies and gentlemen, you listen out there. She took command. She did it. Uh, she's quite the boss. And we'll dive into that. But she took command in, in the 2nd Brigade Combat Team. Uh, was a company commander for a forward support company in the 1st of the 325th Airborne Infantry Regiment red falcons and she deployed to afghanistan from 2017 to 2018 with the first brigade contact brigade contact combat team mouthful daniel get it together before we dive into this podcast episode (laughs) deeply but without further ado jessica thanks for hopping on the podcast hi it's, it's great to be here thanks for having me on of course uh, so just, yeah, just kind of normal podcast to just dive right in, take us, take us back on that journey, you know, to go as far back as you would like to, to really help the listeners out there get a really good idea of just the whole path of your journey, reminding them that, Hey, there's no set path to success and everything's going to look different. And Jessica's story is, is one of those that's going to look completely different and yeah, just go ahead, dive right in. Yeah. So, um, Going to West Point was definitely uh, not in my life plan. I did not want to join the military, but I went on a recruiting trip for swimming and I fell in love with the school and the people. Um, It definitely came out of left field, but I don't regret it at all. Um, I went in wanting to become a quartermaster officer upon graduation, and that's what I did. I graduated um, quartermaster and I went to Bullock and then I joined the 82nd right after that. I was with the 82nd my entire career. So it's I'm one of those few people that truly never left. I drank the Kool-Aid and 
Wow, that's impressive. That's impressive. You know, I'm one of those few weirdos that really, really enjoyed my experience. Um, I love the 82nd, so I joined First Brigade um, when I was a second lieutenant. I took a, a platoon about a couple months in, and I had just the best mentors in that um, brigade. I truly loved the my my battalion commander. She was a rock star. Um, definitely, she she created the path for my success, and my brigade commander was an all like very supportive as well. Um, and I just felt like that brigade was a family. So I deployed with them as a platoon leader for a fuel and water platoon. And I came back as a maintenance control officer um, when we redeployed. So I got to spend some time in Kandahar in the Helmand province, which was a really cool experience um, from a logistics perspective, not from combat arms. <laughs> I did support, I did support Mi two Minor details, minor details. <laughs> <laughs> I did support the White Devils um, over in Afghanistan, which was uh, a phenomenal unit, and, and I really appreciated my time with them. Um, I loved my job when I was a lieutenant. I loved it. So I was fortunate enough to um, get selected to be an aide-de-camp uh, for a British general, and I got to travel the world with him, um, going to see different NATO events. It was really cool. I was convinced that when I was in that position, I was going to be a lifer. I wanted nothing okay. more to become uh, like the next All American Eight, the the Sustainment General. That that was my goal. Uh, leaving that position, I, I truly loved seeing the big bosses making all those decisions, seeing every exercise and all the stupid things that I was a lieutenant complaining about. It all started to make sense because I saw why they were making these decisions and why we did certain training exercises and the, all the work that went into the back. Um, and I loved it. So then I went to Sustainment Brigade following that. I went to a rigger company, a heavy drop unit. I learned all about the, I mean, I was as airborne as they come. <laughs> yeah, I, it's coming, foggies. <laughs> coming, coming from, coming from this, uh, this heavy guy who rode around on, in a Humvee and in, in, in Paladins, uh, you're, you're speaking a completely different language inside of a language itself. So this yeah, is awesome. I, I was all for it. I was all for the, the lifestyle, the airborne lifestyle. I wanted to embrace every position that you could as a logistics officer in the 82nd. Um, so I went to a rigger company. I was an XO over there for a year. Um, went to Triple C, came back, and I took command in 2nd Brigade, uh, fortunately, very quickly. I, I walked in command about two, three months after I arrived. So um, I was very lucky. I was a forward support company commander. I uh, really, really loved the unit I worked with, and I loved other company commanders. But that was the turning point. That, that command was the turning point for um, no longer loving what I was doing. And I'm sure you heard the same thing, like when you were a lieutenant, they would say, wait until company command to make your decision on whether or not you want to stay in. Company command is the best position. You're going to love it. And some people do. I I did not have that same experience. And I, I actually left with a relatively sour taste in my mouth, um, which was unfortunate because I loved my job, all the jobs I had as a lieutenant. I loved my units. And truly, I did love my unit as a company commander, but... Um, it was a game changer for me. I realized that I was not happy. I was stressed, very stressed. Like I was coming home with anxiety from, from work. I was coming home feeling disappointed because I wasn't fulfilling what I thought my full potential would be. I felt unheard and not from like, just the leaders that I worked for. It's just like overall the, um, the passion that I had for logistics. Like I loved logistics so much. I just felt that that was not being matched by um, you know, the people I worked with, um, and it was frustrating. It was very frustrating. So, um, 
actually when I was uh, when I worked in division headquarters as an aide, I had a knee injury. It never was solved, and so conveniently during company command, I got it checked out to get surgery. Um, and, you know, it was a couple of years later, I was running on it for a couple of years. I'm like, oh, I got this. I can keep running. And I just hit a breaking point where I was in so much pain, I couldn't run anymore. So I went and got it checked out when I was in company command. Um, the doctor gave me two or the, the surgeon gave me two options. He said, you know, you can get this surgery, but it's like a 50% chance you'll run again. Um, you know, like, or you can go on a permanent profile. Um, and then my PA gave me the option. He's like, well, that's not your only option. You could leave the army. You could med board because of your injury and because of um, the severity and the surgery that you would need to get. And so I remember it was Christmas. I sat down. I like really thought about how happy I was in the army and, and the things that I wanted to accomplish. And I made that decision that I was like this. I'm no longer happy. I'm so stressed out. I want to do something where I feel like I'm fulfilling my potential and, and, um, I committed to the med board about, or I went, I started, I initiated the med board process a month later. Um, and ultimately six months after that, I was out of the army. Wow. Well, first of all, thanks for that story. I, I love every bit of it. I, yeah, you know that it's not that the eighty second was uh, was scary for me. Uh, I just I I'm a, I'm a heavier individual, and I know that army parachutes are designed to get you to the ground as fast as possible. Playing plenty of sports, uh, contact sports, I was like these knees and my lower back and my back are already jacked up enough. Like I don't need to <laughs> take on that lifestyle. And uh, honestly, you know. All things considered, loved. I mean, I actually did my CTLT time. Uh, I did. I was with an airborne engineer company, and I and I wanted to be an engineer. And I was like, I might have to put aside this like fat guy mentality that like I'm gonna burn a crater in the earth when I come out of an airplane and get over my fear of heights. Just go do this thing because I loved it. I I really do. I mean, I really think that at the end of the day, like Fort Bragg, they. As crazy as it is, right? Like as crazy as it is, they they do it right. They they do it right, and I really felt that while I was there. But uh, that's such an awesome story. I think I think it's so cool that you got to spend a lot of time there. I know it's especially with the way the army's going with AIM two point They're like, oh yeah, AIM two point is going to be a game changer, and I'm like, I feel like it got worse. It's like if you're heavy now, you're definitely going heavy, and if you're light, you're definitely staying light. And I don't think there's any in between. But that's a podcast for a different day. Now I you know this is like this is an interesting thing, right? So. You had the opportunity, you got an amazing position, aide de camp, you got to see how the decisions were made in a large organization. And that really kind of persuaded you in one direction. And then, you know, you mentioned you went into company command and which to your point, I would say, and, and that is a true statement. And I've talked to a lot of people, didn't I was offered battery command, turn it down because I wanted to get out a little bit faster. But everybody's like, hey, you you know, if you can do it, stay in for command. That it, you know, it's like you finally get to have like command authority and make command decisions and make big girl, big boy decisions and you know, do all the stuff. And so you got it. You did it, you're in it, you're crushing it, you're enjoying it. And so I would say, you know, for all of the listeners out there who are in, you know, Jessica's shoes at that time. What are some things for them to think through as they go into command? Because one thing that like I, for me at five and fly, I'm not just all about getting out of the army. Mm -hmm. I do think that people like if you enjoy the army, stay in the army because like 
you can do a lot of cool things in the civilian world. Like you really can. And there's a lot of opportunities, but like at the end of the day, like Jessica and I can no longer go jump out of an airplane on like, they're like, Hey, we have a jump next week. You want to go do it? Yeah. Let's go. Like we can't like, it costs us a money and B like, you got to like do all the logistics to do that. And then there's also like, Hey, you want to just like go shoot fully automatic weapon? Like we can't do that anymore. Right. And so like, there's kind of this dual joint venture in that, but yeah, like just kind of gives, give, give those listeners some insight to this idea of you took command and it didn't pan out to what you thought it was going to be. And so that kind of altered your future in in the army. So kind of like walk through that thought process and really kind of how that unfolded for those people that are potentially going to make that decision. Yeah, I agree. Um, Completely dependent on your experience, you're going to want to stay in or get out. I know a lot of my peers, they had phenomenal experiences as company commanders, and they were phenomenal company commanders. Um, It is definitely unit dependent. Your company will make or break whether or not you break inside uh, the motivation within your company. And that all stems not just from your leadership. and, And this is something that I think that would be important for the listeners um, you know, every, I, I've heard from a lot of mentors and I've heard from a lot of leaders, you know, your company or your, even as a platoon leader, your platoon is a reflection of you. Um, I, I think that that may be an unfair statement when you first walk into the position, the, the state of your unit is most likely going to be a reflection of the previous leaders. And that could stem mm. back two or three platoon leaders, two or three company commanders. It's what was the vibe of that unit when you walked in? So um, when I when I came into command, I uh, came into command in 2021 following COVID, and um, Fort Bragg, like, which it, it did shut down in 2020. I remember we got sent home when I was still in Sustainable Brigade. We got sent home for about six weeks. Um, so there was no tracking for UAs. There was no, you know, UCMJ. Everybody was terrified to go into work because they didn't understand what COVID was yet. Um, mm. That vibe following taking command following the COVID era the vibe of discipline and ucmj went out the window and that was because you know i i can't just blame the leaders before me um the lack of opportunity a lack of seeing your soldiers because there are so many regulations so for a forward support company you have you know your 92 golfs that are in the the cooks that are that are in the um the defac you then have your mechanics in the motor pool you have your distribution platoon which is all over the place um you don't see your soldiers you can't during covid you're not seeing your soldiers every day based on how many people can be in the defac um if they're even letting you sit in the defac um you know for mechanics they're considered they were considered a hot commodity because you still need to keep your esr clear um so even though all the infantrymen or all of the other units might be home because of you know social distancing your mechanics are still in the motor pool um, if one mechanic gets sick, the entire motor pool goes home at that time when I first took command. And so the accountability of seeing your soldiers every day and holding them to the same standard every day was near impossible because you just did not see them every single day for about a year. Um, so coming into that and being in the era where we're trying to recover from COVID and trying to reestablish training exercises and at the brigade level, and we're trying to reestablish going to JRTC and, um, you know, actually training with the infantrymen, um, changing that perspective for new soldiers that had never actually been held to a standard was really difficult. 
And the NCOs that you have, I loved my NCOs, but a lot of them never received that discipline themselves because they were soldiers during COVID. They got promoted. Um, and now they're being told that, hey, this is the standard that you need to hold your soldiers to, but they've never been held to that same standard. And so mm -hmm. that lack of knowledge um, on UCMJ authority, on decision, uh, not decision, on, um, you know, uh, accountability and um, correcti correcting soldiers, um, that truly was lacking in my formation. And so um, it felt crazy while I was in command because, and I know I'm not the only commander out there that had this feeling where I'm correcting soldiers and I'm correcting NCOs, which felt very uncomfortable because, you know, I used to just rely on my platoon sergeant to be like, hey, you know, like that looks real weird. And he would go and take care of it. Um, I just didn't have that same accountability in my formation. Mm. And so for me, doing that job or feeling like I had to do that job because nobody else was, was really disheartening. Because, you know, when I was a platoon leader, when I was an MCO, I always had my counterpart you know, I'd be like, hey, that that looks from that person's wearing a white T-shirt. Why? Like, that makes no sense. <laughs> I, I mean, like I would have things like that happening in my formation and not a single NCO would go over to correct it. Mm -hmm. And so um, I I think that was the game changer for me. I truly understood and and realized how much I liked that accountability piece and that discipline piece. And I know coming from West Point. You know, we're held to a certain standard. And I know a lot of people shit on West Pointers. Not sure if I'm allowed to curse, but um, I know a lot of people make fun of West Pointers for, for their accountability and like how we have, had to hold each other to a certain standard. Like you couldn't show up to, you know, breakfast formation with your shirt untucked and your shoes untied. Like <laughs> immediately somebody would say something. Yet I would show up to my uh, <laughs> like legitimately would be missing like their name tag. I'm like, what the? I'm just, I'm just i'm just having flashbacks of the old uh you know letter jacket and just people <laughs> trying to get away with wearing the white shirt underneath and then you're like you go into class and you're like take your jacket off and you're like uh i can't <laughs> like why not why can't you take it off that's everything yeah, all right take their jacket off <laughs> one person takes their jacket off everybody's face. oh i forgot about that yes <laughs> But like that, that, that piece, like I felt like that was missing. And, you know, like uh, I, I realized as a platoon leader that that those standards are relatively lax when you graduate from West Point, mm -hmm. um, like when you get to them, you, you might've had the same experience, like just certain things, like people aren't constantly correcting, um, you know, like how even just the, anyway, like the constant correction wasn't a thing, but the, just the accountability of like knowing what to correct and when to correct it and how to correct it appropriately did not mm. exist. And so when something did happen, when we did need to make corrections and, and I, I am a believer, like if you're going to start overlooking the little things, you know, you're going to, it's going to create bigger problems down the line. And I saw that with UCMJ. Um, I would, I came in the commander before me didn't do as many UCMJs because of COVID. Um, not saying that that's an excuse, but there just wasn't that many UCMJ. So I started, you know, like, okay, simple things, you know, you have been late like 10 times. How has this not been caught by anybody? And, um, you know, you've been in the wrong uniform for the past three formations. You've been all these little things like starting to correct it, which actually created a culture of animosity towards authority. 
Mm. Um, and that really was uh, uncomfortable for me as a commander because all you want is your soldiers to just do the right thing, show up at the right place in the right uniform at the right time, and we'll be good. And and uh, that that was probably the most disheartening part is that that and anim- feeling the animosity from the soldiers towards myself, um, knowing that all I'm doing is trying to just enforce the standard um, was very frustrating. Man, I, I, uh, like I said, never got to do the, um, get the, get the experience at the command level, but, uh, the, the platoon, I mean, I, I resonate with exactly what you're saying when I was a platoon leader. So I remember coming off, um, uh, being a, a fire support officer, um, what received, I was the number one fire support officer. I would say nothing that I did like any, I, it's interesting. Everybody's like, Oh, like, you know, I, I was like, I literally just read that, like the FM and the ARs and just did exactly what that they told me to do. And I didn't do anything more because like, I couldn't do anything more. I was like, we just need to like, get back to the, the baseline. <laughs> like, let's just get back to, you know, root zero, square one, right? You know, whatever. And go from there. And like, in doing that, I somehow was like a stud. I was like, we didn't even like, get into any of like the quote unquote high speed stuff. And, you know, I was fortunate. I had really good NCO. Like, and that was and to your point. I had really good NCOs. And then same thing went into my platoon leadership time, and my like battalion commander came up to me. He was like, "Hey, you know, like he's like you're my number one FSO. Um, like, you're gonna take over this platoon, and they're the worst platoon in the battalion." And I was like, "That's just wonderful. Great love to just start from the bottom." Um, but you know, it was one of those things where. Same thing, you know, I, I was, we were on, we were fortunate enough, obviously not being during COVID to really kind of put the right NCOs in the right spot and things, you know, the course corrected itself. But yeah, I, I could, I could imagine, you know, being in an authority, you know, an authority position and just like, like trying to resonate with your soldiers, like, look, I have the best of intentions in place for you. And if we could just get this, like, just get it back to the baseline. We're not, yeah. we're not, at, we're not, we're not trying to be above me just to the baseline and just, we can go from there. Um, and man, I, you know, that's, unf- I, I think that's just unfortunate to kind of, you know, experience that as your last go around the army. But I think at the end of the day, like that is what it is. And I think that's like one of the, that, you know, to exactly where you're at today, you know, it's the, there, there, are a lot of different things and none of them are right and none of them are wrong. It's just, the, that's just kind of how like careers unfold. And, you know, I think, as like we segue in going into getting and diving into the corporate world, I think that's, again, it's another experience, which is really one of the cool things about getting into the corporate world, right? Getting into that civilian world where it's, Hey, it's like, Hey, if you are experiencing that, you know, it's like, Hey, if you are in a manager, you know, a managerial position, you're in charge of four or five people, like you can just legit fight, like get them fired a, or if like nobody in authority is, you know, backing you up on that and you can just, leave the company and go somewhere else and, you know, be just as successful. And so I think that's the lucrative nature of it. Now I, I, and I apologies, uh, it, you know, I, I, if, if you told me otherwise, but were you able to do a CSP internship or did you have to kind of work some magic when you were getting out of the army? I worked some magic. So I, um, because of the med board, your timeline and, once again, post COVID uh, med boards were going anywhere from like 300 days to 180, 180 being the goal. So truly you didn't know like when you were going to fall within that timeline. I had great support system during it. Like I will say 
Forbrag definitely figured it out when it came to med boards. I've heard of people getting stuck at like Benning and Oklahoma, like of just being stuck going through the med board process. Mine was very streamlined. They were very transparent with my information. It took me exactly six months to get out. Once I got approved to go through the med board process, um, like you, you go through like three different surgeons to look at, you know, your, um, your injury to see if you qualify. Um, and I, at, at the time, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I got out. I didn't know if I really wanted, I was, I was married at the time, so I didn't technically need to work. I personality wise, I, I wanted to work. I wanted to have something outside of the house. Um, but I found out, so my med board started in January. I think it got approved in February and I found out I was pregnant in March. Um, and so I had a lot of decisions going on at the same time. So I started that med board process. I was pregnant with my first kid and I had no idea what I wanted to do. Did I want to be a stay at home mom? Did I, you know, like the option to fight the med board was still there. Um, and also, and, and if I got into the civilian world, what would I be good at? What did I want to do? What was I passionate about? I was truly passionate about army logistics. Like if I, if I could go back and just teach army logistics, I would do that for the rest of my life. I love it. Um, but I, I wanted to eventually have my own team, have my own department. I had goals and like, I truly had time. I didn't have time in command. Let me, let me just put that out there. I was still in command when I found out I was pregnant and I was getting out. I was in command until the day I got, um, I started my terminal leave. Um, so I, I didn't have that opportunity to truly, um, meet with internships or also I, I, there were a lot of limitations, you know, I was pregnant and I was nervous to, you know, like go anywhere on any type of internship or leave, uh, Southern Pines. I truly didn't want to go anywhere too far. So I was looking for remote positions, which automatically, um, lessens your opportunity. Um, especially when it comes to the certain salary that I was looking for. And I wanted an intro job where I could gain experience um, in an industry that I'm unfamiliar with so that I can um, be, I, I came to realize looking at LinkedIn and looking at job listings, you need so much experience in order to get the type of jobs that would be equivalent to that of a company commander. And mm -hmm. I did not want to settle for a job that would bore me, that was monotonous. I didn't want that. I wanted something that would I could grow in. Um, and so I, I, I was selective when I was applying, but I applied to probably 200 jobs. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know, though. I didn't know. And so I was like, you know, maybe I'll fall in love with the HR um, rep that I talked to. Maybe I'll fall in love with the company or the mission. Like, I was just looking for that unicorn out there for a job. Mm. Um, but I also, I mean, I, although I was in a fortunate position at the time, I, um, I, quickly learned how difficult it is for an officer to actually been given a fair shot at transitioning following command. I was always told, and I know that you and I have talked about this in the past, like, uh, oh, you were a company commander. Oh, you graduated West Point. You'll get a job. No problem. And that's not the case. That's not how mm -hmm. the algorithm algorithms work when it comes to LinkedIn. It's not how the algorithms work for HR. Um, they're looking for very specific experience in and although you may translate all these words that of the things that you used to do, it'll never fully resonate with that company unless they're also a veteran. And that's really hard to find. Mm -hmm. so. That's no, I, I, that's an unbelievable point. And, you know, we can just kind of park on that discussion itself. I think 
And, you know, to all listeners out there, I released an episode a couple episodes ago on just the Milper message that was just released, which is going to even make it harder for officers who are considered, you know, tier one individuals to get an opportunity to, you know, get one of these internship skill bridge opportunities to get out of the military and go into the corporate world. And I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, Daniel, by myself, I'm not going to be able to, you know, convince the you know who the two three four star that's in charge of making that decision that you're absolutely wrong and this isn't even remotely how the civilian world works i mean whether or not you think that's the case and i would argue that we do have the the skill set to hop into that position but what they forget to realize is your point to a to a t is you don't have the industry specific knowledge of that time frame that they're looking for. It's just, you don't know. It's just, I mean, you got to think about it, right? It, what, it took you six, seven years to learn all the things in the army that made you a great command, a logistician commander. Right. And it's to your point. Yes. Do you have the leadership, the wherewithal, the knowledge, the ability to, to perform under pressure, to, you know, be in a director type role? Yes. You just don't necessarily have the seven, eight, nine, ten years experience that most people in that position already have in that specific industry, and so, I, you know, it's 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 a topic for debate. It's kind of one of those things where I feel like you just you, you know, as somebody who's trying to like change the world, understand you know, change the civilian world, understanding on this kind of you know transition, it's like I'm beating my head against the wall, but I'm going to keep doing it until I eventually punch a hole through this wall. It's I'm pretty sure it's made of cement. It's going to take a really long time, but. We're going to eventually get through it, but that's a great point. And I really appreciate you bringing that up because I think it's one that just continues to need to be talked about in, 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 you know, the information that behind that needs to be, needs to continue to be relayed. I think, yeah. you know, it's, as I talk to more and more companies, even just trying to, con, you know, talk to companies to convince them to stand up a skill bridge, you know, it's like, Hey, you get six free months. I promise you this person will prove themselves in six months in whatever position the company you want them to do. And they're like, ah, I just, you know, I just don't know. We're looking for this, that, and the thing I'm like, all right, man, I'm just, you know, telling you you're missing out, but we're going to keep going after it. And, uh, hopefully we eventually get there. Now you worked some magic. I love it. I, I, again, it's just a testament to, you know, what success is looks different for everybody. And, this path is unconventional in every which way you decide to take it, but you land, you did, you landed, you did it. You landed a position, one that you looked at and said, Hey, this checks all the boxes that I needed to check. Um, I would say first on that, you know, kind of talk to the listeners on really, you know, I don't want to go like MDMP process on how you decided to get that, but you know, but really kind of this decision process that, you know, allowed you to come up with, Hey, what are the check boxes? that you like, you know, as you said, you sat down Christmas and you were like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing. Here are my boxes that need to get checked in order for me to do this. So I would say kind of walk through how you made that went through that decision making process. And then B, you know, kind of talk into the nuances of, okay, so, you know, how did you finally land that opportunity? Um, and, and then we, you know, we can go, go from there to that. Yeah. So, um, I, you know, during Christmas and over the, once the med board got accepted and I was in the process, um, I was considered non-deployable at that time, not only for the med board, but also for the pregnancy. So I did have a lot of time where I could just sit down and think about me, which is the first time in a really long time, because in the army, I'm always like, okay, 
the army lays out exactly how you're going to progress. You will go to platoon leader time, you'll become an XO, you'll do a broadening thing as lieutenant, then you'll go to captain square course, become a commander, do your staff time, do broadening, then you're a major. It's very, you know, it's all laid out for you. And so this was the first time that I had to make a decision where it's not like, Mm. oh, what post am I going to? What unit, what position do I want? It was, I could go out and do anything. Oh, shoot. That's, that's all. It's the same (laughs) thing now. Like even moving, I'm like, I could move anywhere. And like, where do I want? It was almost like having too many options. And so I, um, too many options, but not enough choice, if that makes sense. No, totally. I totally get it. (laughs) But I started off, I, I thought about all the things in the army that I really liked and all the things that I didn't. And I, I kind of created a mental list of, okay, what do I really dislike? I do not like spending 12 to 14 hours, um, on post for me (laughs) that, that like I'm trying to think of and conceptualize how I can have family time. Yet I leave my house at 5 a.m. You know, I prefer to get to work early. I like to think I'm type A. I like to get to work early, read my emails, um, and then go into my workday already knowing all the emails and and create my to-do list for the day. So I would leave my house at 5 a.m. and I would not get home until like 7 at night. And I know for some, a lot of commanders and a lot of um, of our classmates out there really like, 7, that's pretty early. And that's kind of sad, you know? Um, I felt like I was, uh, living to work instead of working to live. Mm. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to enjoy, I wanted to fully embrace, you know, like who am I outside of the military right now? My entire personality is military. I work all day. I do really like my job, but every night, even when I come home, I, you know, like I'm having a couple glasses of wine. I'm like watching one show. I'm stressing about work tomorrow. I have like the Sunday scaries almost every night. Um, I show up to work relatively sleep deprived, not feeling well rested and dreading what's about to come the next day. Um, I would leave feeling anxious. And so I'm like, what I want in a position is I want to have a little bit more control over my time. Um, I would like more reasonable hours. So I don't mind working a lot of hours, but if I'm going to be working a lot of hours, I would like to work from home so that I could have that balance where I could see my son grow up. Um, I can, you know, like I can travel, I can go see family. I can work from my parents' house in New York, or I can, you know, go visit one of my friends that's stationed in Texas. I don't know. I think I wanted that ability because I felt so, um, I felt like strangled in the army. I couldn't take leave unless it was like, I will not take leave, but travel unless it was approved. Um, I couldn't leave a certain radius. I had to have my phone on me at all times because at any time they could recall you. I didn't want that. I wanted something. It didn't have to be nine to five, but when I was in my personal time, I was in my personal time. I wanted that balance. I wanted boundaries. Um, and I felt like I didn't have boundaries since West Point, not even like before West Point. <laughs> Let's be honest, West Point was probably the most invasive. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just walk into your barracks room at any time. Um, but, but I wanted something that I had more control over. I had healthy boundaries. And I wanted to feel the way I felt in First Brigade. When I was in First Brigade, I was passionate about my unit. I felt like my mentors cared about me. I felt like they actually mentored me they wanted me to do go on to greater things they had a pathway for my success and i i did i was very lucky in second brigade as well i had that um and definitely hhb and i definitely had that support but 
there's something about First Brigade where the whole unit came together for a mission. It felt like a family. Um, and I know that, you know, it could just be the deployment. A lot of people get that way after deployments. You're definitely closer with the units that you deploy with. But um, I wanted that feeling again, but in the civilian world with boundaries. And so I was like, okay, so I know for a fact, you know, at the time that when I get out, if I get out in exactly 180 days, I will be five months pregnant. I am about to go into the job market as a five month pregnant person. The army obviously is not the friendliest when it comes to pregnancy. They are working on it. There, it's still, there's a lot of, um, there's, there's a lot of, uh, misconceptions out there. And so I'm like, I'm at a disadvantage because like, I feel like the way that the army treats pregnant women is that you are broken and you can't do anything. Um, so I'm, I'm leaving the army with that mentality, um, going into a job market, uh, that I have know nothing about and, um, but knowing what I wanted and not willing to settle for it. Um, so I, um, I hopped on LinkedIn. I hopped on ZipRecruiter. I hopped on all online platforms. I told myself that when I was getting out that I didn't want to reach out to some of the, there's some of the veterans groups that really like push hard. I didn't want to get a job based on just knowing somebody. Mm -hmm. I want to get a job based off of, and I know that that might not sound like the, the smartest decision. If you can get a job, like, you know, with like one of these great companies, because you happen to know somebody that's probably a really good end. But I want to get a job based off of my credibility, based off of my uh, resume, the work that I put in. I wanted to feel like I got my foot in the door in the civilian world on my own. Um, and so I, I started applying to these jobs. I had several interviews. Some of them, you know, like I either didn't hit um, what they were looking for. A lot of it came down to I didn't have service industry um, experience. Uh, so like definitely in the tech world, like if you don't have the tech background, um, they're not, you're not going to get a foot in the door, regardless of your experience of running a company with 80 people. They don't care about that. They want you to know how to speak Java and they want you to know how to speak all these different programming sites. Um, and so I, um, I started looking for project manager positions. I was looking at team leader positions. I was looking at, you know, innovation manager positions, um, uh, change management positions. I was looking at management, you know, like mid, mid-level management, something. I want to be a leader. I want to do something like that. And I then applied for this company called Byheart. I applied to be a corporate business operations associate. Um, the base pay was the same as a captain. Uh, just not the BAH and everything like that. Just being a, a base pay captain. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt comfortable with that because I was like, it's 100% remote. Um, I knew nothing about the company. I'm just looking at this like little description. It's 100% remote. Um, it had the pay that would fit what I my lifestyle, what I really wanted to be making um, as my first job outside of the army. Um, and it had an interesting job description where it's like you're going to be working for an innovative baby formula company that is like changing the world. I'm like, huh. I'm about to have a baby and I would like to know more about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued. This is direct speaking directly to like, is this advertising plus job posting or. <laughs> so um, I got an interview with them. I spoke to the HR manager and she explained everything to me and um, I fell in love with the mission. It wasn't just about the position anymore. I genuinely 
thought about the mission. So the whole mission of the company I currently work for is they are legitimately making um, baby formula that matches breast milk formulation. And that's completely different than any other um, formula that's currently on the market. And so they were expanding rapidly because the baby shortage, the baby formula shortage happened and they sold out of their inventory a lot quicker than they expected because they, they weren't affected by the shortage. That was a different facility. And so everybody started turning to this product and then they realized how great this product was Mm. and they built a following. And so I joined the company as this following was growing and, um, I went through the interviews and, I'll tell you this, like for anybody that's out there when you're applying to jobs, the way that you speak and the way you present yourself, if you maintain that level of professionalism that you do in the army, as if you're briefing your battalion commander and op order, um, you will stand out just because that level of professionalism isn't as prevalent in the, in the corporate world as you think. Like, it's not like the movies where um, you everybody's in a boardroom and everybody's wearing suits. Um, it's not like that, especially with the like younger generations, it's much more relaxed. And my company is very relaxed, but just having that, that level of professionalism and briefing that level of professionalism, you stand out. Um, and I, I realized that very quickly, you know, just addressing an email, ladies and gentlemen, or, um, things like that, that that's not normal in the, in the corporate world anymore. Um, so that would be my biggest thing. Like, I, I think that's why I stood out amongst the other candidates is that I just spoke with confidence. I, I spoke with clarity and I laid out my experience to the best that I could with how it translated to the job that they were looking or the person they were looking for, for the job. Hmm. I think that, you know, and just, and just hearing that the most intriguing part of that whole conversation there is a lot that was intriguing about that conversation but i think really what the listeners should listen to at the end of the day is that you looked at something and were passionate about the mission and i think mm-hmm. that you know for those people that are out there that are potentially trying to apply to jobs or in a, you know a hiring a heroes cohort cohort or a skill bridge internship you know if if you're not passionate about what you're doing, that's going to reflect amongst the leadership of the organization. And, you know, and I would also argue with you that you probably shouldn't be in that role. And I think, you know, going in, one of the things that I talk about quite frequently on, you know, this podcast is really understanding and having a vision casting and kind of, Hey, what's that Everest that I'm going to go summit? What does it look like when I'm up there? What am I doing? What, what is, what is the mission that I'm supporting? What am I doing? What am I trying to accomplish? And I think that honestly, that's just so awesome that, you know, that you set out on this mission you said, Hey, this company's doing something awesome. And I want to be a part of it no matter what, because the results can be twofold. The, the people in the organization are going to look at you and be like, yes, that like this person is all in like, and they have a skill set that a lot of people don't have. Like we will teach, you know, Mm -hmm. this individual, the, you know, the quote unquote hard skills that need, need to be, you know, applied to this position. And then they're going to find out that like, as officers, you know, as West Pointers, like we learn very quickly. And so it's like, you just like that. I I don't know how many times I tell somebody is like, Hey, like, you know, I was a battalion fire support officer and they're like, Hey, we also kind of need a S4. So like, can you do that? And I was like, I have no idea how to do an S4, but like, 
yeah, give me the FM, give me the AR and I'll go figure it out, you know? And then it's just, but that's just like the mentality that we maintain, even though we're going into, you know, professional organization. And that's ultimately to the listeners out there, that's what sets you apart. And I think that's such a great point that you hit on um, Jessica. So thank you so, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I, you, you seem like you had a little bit extra to say there about kind of the being passionate and, 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 you know, and companies, once they find out that you're passionate about the organization or kind of willing to help you, uh, you know, develop those hard skills. Do you have anything that else to add on yeah, that? Absolutely. I had no, no experience with baby formula. I had no experience with like, uh, I was being, um, I worked for, or I worked for the quality department and the supply operations department. So I was able, I understood supply chain. Um, I, I got my MBA with, in supply chain and I like, I, I understand that. I feel like I can translate my skills from the army to supply chain but quality. I have, no expertise when it comes to quality. I'm working with scientists and they're outrageously intelligent and they know everything about these bacterias that grow in facilities. And um, I just sat back and listened and I, I've learned a lot. I've been with the organization now for a year and I know, I just like you said, I, I was thrown into a position I was able to learn. And I think that's something that unfortunately leaving the army, we're at a disadvantage. And um automatically employers assume that um it's gonna it's too difficult for you to catch on that quickly it's just and and the biggest thing is just sitting back and listening it's the same thing when you become a platoon leader um you sit back and you just listen for 30 days and you you watch your platoon and you see how they act before you implement any major change just so you can see like okay how is pt run and how do my ncos work and what's the total vibe of my my platoon um it's the exact same thing you take a step back and you watch and you listen and you learn and you ask the questions. I remember I would message my coworkers the first month that I was there. I sat down with, you know, the procurement department. I sat down with um, different representatives from the quality department. I sat down with my bosses. Um, I sat down with all the people that I was unfamiliar with what they did. Um, and I wrote down, you know, like I took a list of, okay, so this is exactly how our supply chain runs. This is how, you know, the milk industry works or the dairy industry works. Like, I, I learned about quality. I learned the courses that I needed to take. Um, and sitting back and listening, I, I think, I mean, I, over the past year, I think I've been able to prove myself that you can, we can learn very quickly um, because you are put in those positions as an army officer where they just like, hey, you know, um, you're gonna, we know that you have no experience in this. But like, I remember one time I was, <laughs> I think it was, um, all uh, the infantry commanders were some, they were doing something else. I think they were at Natick, they were at a training exercise. The, the infantry commanders weren't there. So it was like me and one other commander. And, um, they're like, yeah, so you're going to teach a bunch of these second lieutenant infantry officers, you know, the MDMP process for this op order. And I'm like, um, I mean, I just learned no. that <laughs> I'm not a subject matter expert at it. Um, and I also like, I don't know, like, these are a bunch of infantry officers. I can speak on the lobby side, <laughs> but I was like, all right, you know what? I like pulled out a couple books that I had from triple C. I'm like, this is the MDMP process. I guess we're going to go into it. Um, and then I was like thinking back to like West Point op orders on how like we created them. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do it. I like pulled out my MS 300 book and I was like, all right. Hi guys, I'm Captain Baumeister. I am logistics, but I will proudly represent right now. Let's learn about MDMP. But like being put in those positions, like um, I think that any employer, if they truly dedicate uh, the time and the resources to 
uh, an army officer, they'll realize that we catch on very quickly. We've been put in much more uncomfortable positions than this. Um, and we, as long as we're willing to take a step back and listen, we'll learn. Um, yeah, no, I, I just, oh, that's just so clear. I don't know how many, it's just like being, especially when you're, when you're a field artillery officer and you're attached to, you know, just a, you know, armor company, you know, infantry battalion. And they're just like, Hey, we need you to teach the entire battalion how to call for fire. And you're just like, you're like, it's like, dude, it took me like, that was like a, a two month long course at Bullock, you know, and I barely know how to do it. And they're like, okay, uh, so like when, <laughs> like, can you give me like T, T minus six? Like, when, as he does not, you know, like, and you're just like, uh, okay, we're going to figure this out. So like, not only do I have to continue to master this, but I got to figure out how the heck to teach somebody how to do this. And Lord knows that's going to be a bridge to cross, but no, it's, I, I that, that's it. I mean, I think, you know, that's, that's in, in a nutshell, you know, it's like I was talking to uh, a, a senior product manager at a company who I just was talking to this coverage about. And one thing that she was saying is really that the thing that, you know, officers, senior enlisted need to hit on when they're in these interviews and when they're talking to these organizations about trying to get a job there is what is your superpower and how does it correlate to the corporate world? And she's like, as soon as you can figure out how to do that in an effective way that gets the hiring manager's ears perked for them to say, hey, yes, we want to actually pursue you. Like we, we recognize that you might not have the technical background, but, you know, to, as we've been talking about, if your superpower is this ability to learn rapidly and, you know, it's like, Hey, here's this track record of like, Hey, I held seven different positions, all of which I'd had were outside of my, you know, uh, industry knowledge or whatever you want to call it. And I was able to receive a top rating like that. Those are some things that you want to hit on when you go mm -hmm. into the corporate world. Um, but I would say, you know, you know, one thing, um, just just talking to Jessica, I know she's she's being a little bit humble, but she was able to pr prove herself so much that she just recently got promoted. So, Jessica, congrats on that. I'm, I I will be an advocate for you in that. I got to promote uh, veterans being bosses out in the civilian world as much as possible. But one thing I do want to hit on is you and I kind of had this discussion prior to hopping on the podcast of this idea of, you know kind of wanting to get involved in a skill bridge opportunity at the organization you're at. Also, also to all the listeners out there, I've hit on this a lot. When you get a chance as an active duty service member to enter into an organization as a veteran, you need to work your hardest, not only to prove yourself, but to make the path easier for those coming behind you. And Jessica has done just that at her company and so much so that the company is like, we didn't know veterans exist. I, I don't, I, this is like a paraphrase. I don't think this is exactly what they said, but this is like in my mind what they said. We didn't know veterans existed. And now that we do, we need more of them. And, you know, this, and so Jessica's all, all on board for continue to help that mission. And so Jessica, for all of the individuals out there listening who want to take on this endeavor of joining either potentially your team or your company as a, as the greater team, um, how would they go about doing that? Yeah. Um, just like you said, my company has four, I think it was four veterans when I joined. Um, and all, all of us, 
like they they did this really cool thing on I think it was Memorial Day or uh, Veterans. It was Veterans Day. It was last November. They said, "Hey, for the veterans out there, post a picture of you in your uniform." Um, and I think there was like four or five of us, and that was it. Um, and I was talking to um, one of my friends in the company, and they're like, "Yeah, like how do we get more of like you for like you you guys are awesome." And I was like, "Well, you know, um, you got to give us a chance." You, like the transla the translation on our resumes will not meet all of our skills. It's really hard to explain every single thing that we've accomplished on just a piece of paper. Um, so I mean, I've I've definitely spoken to a representative in my company to try to create that bridge, um, so that we can start having more people. Because I was talking to HR, and she's like, "How do we get more people that you know, like that are professional and that have the drive and I was like, just like, I, I can, I, I will get a bunch of resumes. I will send them your way, but that's unrealistic. I'm not an HR. Um, <laughs> and how do you tell how, if you don't have a veterans program, my company is still relatively small. Um, and yes, the larger companies, they have veteran reps, like obviously Amazon out there, they, they have programs dedicated to transitioning veterans. Um, smaller companies don't have that ability. They don't have a dedicated veteran rep that can go through your resume and understand exactly what you've accomplished on your resume. I would say the biggest piece of advice on your resume is you need to brag about what you've done. You need to say, I was in charge of project man. You might, if you're a platoon leader, this would be a way to put it. I project managed over however many missions you ran you know, like a mission for me, fuel and water wise, that could have just been, you know, like giving some fuel. 365 to, days, yeah. <laughs> like 365 day. missions. But technically a mission is like a project. And so yeah. I project managed X amount of however many missions you did and just translate that to projects. I also managed X amount of employees or subordinates. Um, at the same time, I also created presentations. I worked on my Excel skills. I was briefing I, all those skills that will translate over. And a lot of times that we just think like, oh, well, that's minuscule things. Why would I put, I know Excel, like that's stupid Excel, big game changer. That's something that's really important in the corporate world. It's, it's funny you say that because I like, I wish there was like a, like a toggle you could switch on where it was like, if you as like, if any DOD branch of the military, like it like automatically equals Microsoft master. Yeah. It's just like, that's like literally like, I don't know how many PowerPoints, Excel sheets. All the were, products, the layers. Yeah. I'm like, like I could do this backwards, upside down while sleeping. Like, come on. That's just like a no, no, no brainer. Even like time management and prioritization, you're forced to do it. You cannot accomplish every single thing as a company commander or a platoon leader that your battalion commander is giving you, that your company commander is giving you. You need to prioritize um, and you need to be able to assume risk. And you also need to be able to brief back like, hey, I made this decision because and own it. Um, and that is something like when you're in your resume, you put decision maker. When you go into your uh, interviews with future companies, you have to say, you know, like I'm good at risk management, I'm good at prioritization, and I can time manage. Um, give me a list of things, I will tell you what I can accomplish, what resources I need, and if I need more time. Um, and that's something that is definitely overlooked. But if you can brief that effectively and be clear with it, you're going to stand out because that's something that doesn't exist right now is that prioritization and time management. If you are responsible, 
you truly think of all the times that you've had to say X versus Z and like I, in, the in between, you know, like how I'm going to rank the, how, how I'm going to rank all of my priorities and how I'm going to deal with my work. If you can brief that to the HR representative or your future employer, um, you're going to stand out. It's something that doesn't exist as well. Um, and we overlook it as veterans all the time because we had to do it. And we were, I'm, I'm sure you have the same experience. You're judged if you do it poorly. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're so judged if you pick the wrong priority or you assumed risk in the wrong area. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's something that civilian employers don't fully understand the repercussions of it. Like how we have to do, you know, deliberate risk assessments for everything. Um, how we have to pick, you know, like I, I literally can't do these three missions all simultaneously. I only have five soldiers available because everybody else is on an appointment. You have to prioritize. How are you going to get the missions done? You can't just say, I can't, uh, uh, you're SOL, you know, like figure it out. Like, no, you have to figure, you have to figure it out. And so it, it kind of convincing your employer that, yes, I can prioritize, I can time manage, I know how to utilize my resources, just give me a shot. Yep. You'll be able to prove it. You will. As long as you're not like getting there and expecting them to be like, you know, bowing down to you because you're a veteran, um, you're going to do fine. Yeah. No, I think that that's, that's, that's a great, I really appreciate you sharing that. I think that that hits it to a T it's, you know, it's, it's that one thing I always tell people, I'm like, I, I get it. Like I understand the resume doesn't translate, which is why the power of networking and like actually reaching out to those HR reps, it, like submit your resume, then reach out to the HR rep. Like, I don't know how many times I did that when I was applying to jobs and that just immediately set me apart. Maybe they, maybe they still didn't, they still looked at my resume and, but they were like, Hey, like we just like, we really need this position, you know, like, and they would give legitimate reason. They're like, Hey, you are the only candidate that reached out to the HR rep directly. And we respect that. But like, we really need somebody to hit the ground running. And we just like looking at your resume, like we just don't know if we can take that risk. And I'm like, Hey, I just, I appreciate it. You know? And so, reach out to those individuals because Jessica said it best. Once you get in the door and you talk to those people, they're going to be like, wow, this person is totally different than the other, you know, 30, 20, 30 people that we've talked to. Um, you know, let's, let's give them a shot. So, uh, Jessica, this conversation has been awesome and there has been so much knowledge dropped on this one episode. Um, so to all listeners out there, you might need to go back and listen to this a couple of times. Um, there's just so much information out there. Now, one way I like to land these episodes um, is really going back to what we talked about is knowing your why for leaving the military. Um, I think this is one of the most to any listeners out there. And I will continue to argue it to this day. And as long as I'm doing this, that the number one thing that you need to do when you decide to get out of the military is understand what your why is because, and it can't be, at the end of the day, it can't be tangible things, right? It can't be a salary. It can't be a specific company. It has to be something that's important to you enough. So when you send in those 200 applications and you've gotten, you know, 195 rejections, you look around and you're like, oh yeah, this is the reason why I'm doing it. And it continues mm -hmm. you to push you to drive. So with that being said, Jessica, I know, you know you've had some time to build on this. What, what was your, uh, what was your why for leaving the army? I was no longer having fun. And I know that's the cheesiest thing to say, but I truly loved my time when I was a lieutenant. Um, and I gave myself about two years as a captain and I saw what my future would be. 
And I just, I wasn't having fun anymore. I wanted to be back in a position where I'd be passionate and I lost that passion. Hey, that, that is a great answer. And I think it's one that I think resonates with a lot of people. I think, you know, you sit there and you, especially as a Lieutenant, right. You know, whether you went ROTC, you went to the Academy, you know, at West Point, we had a little bit different of an experience and all of our summer, you know, leadership exercises and we got to do a lot of cool stuff, but you're in these ROTCs, you're in these, you're, you're at these academies and you're like, look at all this cool stuff we get to do as a platoon leader. Like I get to go train people to like go blow up other people. Like that's awesome. And then you get to this point where you're like, okay, well we actually only get to do that like 30% of the time. And then when you're a commander, it's like 20, you know, company commander. And then like, once you're in staff, you just like goes to zero and then, you know, like battalion command, it's like 10% of the time and that, that those opportunities go down. And, and I, you know, and I think that resonates with a lot of people. It's like, Hey, I'm just not, you know, and that I, at the end of the day, the people go V tip, they go special forces or they're like, Hey, I'm going to go try and figure out this thing in the civilian world, have a little more fun out there and enjoy the time. But Jessica, thank you so much for coming on. This has been an awesome episode. I am so thankful for just the knowledge that you shared with everybody out there. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. This has been absolutely wonderful. To all listeners out there, just another story that lets you know. Remember, it'll buff. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the It'll Buff Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I really enjoy having them. Here's the thing. If you like that episode, please do a few things to help me out. One, go save this podcast, put it in your library. I'm going to be releasing one episode a week, every week, here on Forward. The next thing is go to the5andfly.com and take the survey. It'd be really helpful for you to take the survey to help paint a picture of where each member that is separating from the military that's interested in this community is at. There's all kinds of questions things that I've covered from previous episodes. So please go take the survey. Third, please go schedule one-on-one on the website. I'd love to talk to you and hear where you're at in your transition journey and help at least put you on the right azimuth and potentially work with you for the, for the future to come. Lastly, if you or somebody you know has a separation story that you would like this community to hear, please reach out to me so we can schedule that story. And I'd love to have you on the podcast. Again, this is a community by you guys for the people that are coming behind us. The goal is to make each person that comes behind us as they separate from the army have a more successful path than we did. That's the goal. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed and remember, it'll buff.